First of all, I just want to welcome you back. I know that Pastor Josh, the first week he talked about just the attraction gift, that it's not from the devil, it's actually the Lord gives you the attraction gift, that you're attracted to your mate. And then Lindsay came and she shared just how to, how to date right, how to do, the, how to do it God's way and, and just do it right. And then uh, Pastor Josh last week talked about God honoring sex. And so I did that last week in Eunice, and man, it was great. We had a great time. People, I thought one guy was going to die of a heart attack. He laughed so hard. But, uh, you know, but this week I'm going to talk about just how to fight fair. How to fight fair. How many of you ever been in a fight with your mate? Okay, let's, I'm going to try it again. For all you people that are listening, I'm not going to be a lying pastor, so I don't need a lying congregation. Okay, how many of you have ever had, been in a conflict, we'll just say a conflict, a disagreement with your mate? Okay, and how many of you say you win most of the time? Don't put your hand down. <laughs> but if there's anything about marriage uh, we all have in common, let me just say what it is. It's a conflict. And see, marriage really, you know, today we're going to see how when the honeymoon's over and Solomon and, and his bride and they get in a fight and 20% of Songs of Solomon is about conflict. Now, I'll just give you a little hint. Me and Tracy have had conflict. That may be a revelation to some of you this morning. But some of you that know us, you know. And, but uh, we try to fight fair. And sometimes we fought about silly things. How many of you ever fought just about something that just didn't really matter? And... You know, just silly stuff. I can't even think of some of the silly stuff we've, we've fought about. But there's been some things that have just been like stupid or goofy or just like, what was that all about? You know what I mean? The bad pizza experience. But, you know, I, I've, I've learned this is that marriage, marriage is a fight. You leave, leaving you with the choice. You're going to fight in it or you're going to fight for it. You're going to either fight in your marriage or you're going to fight for your marriage. It's all about your heart, your attitude. What are you allowing God to do in your heart? And so this morning, as long as you see your spouse as your enemy, your home will always be a battlefield. You hear me? He's coming home from work, that old bag of dirt. I can't wait to him. He put them dirty boots up in his floor again. And he's walking. If she feeds me rice and gravy today, I'm going to throw up all over her. It's just, you come, it's how you see your home. Is it a sanctuary? Is it a place where you go, you know what? I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm not going to fight in it. And so what happens is, is that, you know, everyone that, that, that loses when you fight with, you lose when you fight with each other. Can I just say that? You're going to lose. And what you do is, if you're not fighting, not, not to one another. See, I want to talk to you today about how to fight fair. Is that all right? Songs of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, it says, I slept on my heart. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, a sound. My beloved is knocking. So here's a knocking at the door. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew. My locks with the drops of the night. In other words, his hair is gotten wet because he's been outside for a while. And the dew or, or kind of the fog like we have here just this morning, you know. And it's, maybe it's 11 o'clock at night. Maybe it's 2 o'clock at night. I'm not sure what time it is, but she's restless because he's not home. 
And so she, what she does is she's taken her robe off and she's gotten in her bed and she's gotten comfortable and he forgot the key. And he's knocking at the door. And she don't feel like getting up because he didn't tell her where he was going. Come on, anybody see the picture right now? Okay? And she's like, shoo, think I'm going to get up. I mean, the, the floors are cold. You're late. I don't know where the heck you've been. You didn't, even, you didn't even provide a message or a text or anything. You didn't tell me where you were going, what you were doing. What's in his mind? See, he's thinking, you know, let's think it. But she's restless and because she's not home. So what's on his mind, right? Honestly, it's 11 o'clock at night. There's only one thing in a man's mind at 11 o'clock at night. Don't look at me like a, a sheep at the gate going, what are you talking about? 11 o'clock at night? Come on. What, what's in his mind? He's thinking one thing. I mean, every man got one thing on his mind about that time of night. Come to think about it all the time. But there's, there's only one thing on this man's mind. He's coming in. He's expecting, he's expecting romance. In verse 3, she ain't thinking that way. Come on, women, can, can y'all help me out? Am I preaching good yet? Okay. He's coming in expecting this. And, and you know, what does she think? Verse 3, she goes, I had to put off my garment. How could, I put on, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. And how could I, how could I soil them? In other words, she's taking her shower, her bath. She's been in, you know, olive olay and all that stuff. She's marinated herself, waiting for him to come home. And I mean, and he doesn't show up when she, she's expecting him to. And all of a sudden, what happens in Hebrews, she's saying this. She's, I bathed, I'm done all that. In other words, this is, you know what that verse 3 means? I got a headache. Go away. She's not in the mood. She don't want you to be knocking. She don't want you to be, I mean, come on. Come on, man. Help me out. And so what happens is there's two, raw, there's two conflicts. There. It's two big root causes of the conflict. Okay, let me just, the first root is unmet expectations. How many have ever had those? How many have ever had unmet expectations? You know, the, the sad thing is my wife will ask me questions, and sometimes I'm, I'm the, the, the person that kind of keeps things in sometimes because I don't want to have conflict, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But she's to kind of ask questions, so there can't be any conflict. But I get to the point where I just kind of like, you know, I don't want to bother you. I, I have these things, I don't want to bother you. But she's going, what do you want? If I'm asking you what do you want, you're not bothering me. Just tell me what you want. Like when I was going through the surgery, she goes, how long do you have to, have to be like this? And the doctor told me three weeks. So she was like, well, you want me to cook you breakfast? You want to, well, you know, I don't want to bother you. But in my mind, I go, yeah. <laughs> how many y'all talking about? That's just, it's one of those silly things that we do. It's those like mind games, head games. Remember Foreigner? They had an album called Head Games. All right, anyway, just finish. You remember that while? Okay. And, and, so I, I think, and so what happens, we play all these things. And so what happens is I mean, she's expecting him to come home early, and he's not. And, he's, and so he's in a lot of trouble, right? And so what happens, he comes home, and he's wondering if the petting zoo is open. <laughs> I 
I'm going somewhere today, I promise you. He's thinking, well, you know, hey, it, but it's closed. It's a no. He wants something and she's not. And, and, and there's this unmet expectation. So all these frustrations in life result with unmet expectations. Well, you didn't. Well, you didn't. What do you do? I'm, well, I thought you thought, but you thought wrong. There you go. Thinking about yourself again. How many of you have ever had unmet expectations? Huh? Come on. Six of you. I rest I'm praying for you. I got to preach a little stronger this morning. The second one is, is, is self-centeredness. What does that mean? Solomon comes in. It's like, he, he, you know, he comes in. He's like, me, Tarzan. You, Jane. We, see, we swing vine together. <laughs> he wants some action. She's like, I'm tired. I just took my robe off, and you made me put it back on, and I ain't hanging it off again. I'm wearing my flannels. Forget the nighty. <laughs> Both of them are thinking about their own needs. How many of you ever had that? How many of you have ever had a fight because you've been thinking about what you want, and they're thinking about what they want, and you're not living, and all of a sudden your self-centeredness collides with each other, and you start, <laughs> cat and dog. Well, you, and well, you like your daddy. You like your mama. You like your papa. They would like that. And you know, and by the way, I mean, you're like bringing a curveball from like 1932. You know, I don't know. Generational, you know, blessing or dirt. You know? And what happens is, I'm, I'm trying to stay in the mess. Both of them are thinking about it. Neither one of them getting what they think they need from the other person. So this can happen in many things. She, she wants to talk, and she wants to share feelings. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. Neither one of them are thinking about each other. This can happen. So she wants to talk. She wants to connect. And all he wants to do is just veg out and watch TV because he's tired from the day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or perhaps one person wants a little physical intimacy, and the other person just don't. You know what I mean? I've learned this. When I give... I'll give you an example. My wife had to go through some medical tests the other day, and she's taking care of me, and they had some things that she's, got to, she's having to deal with. And because I didn't take the time, her expectation was, you know what, I've listened to you. I put up with all your medicine. I make sure your little pills are in the little thing, and, you know, you don't have to walk out the door wondering if you need to take something. Your appointments are written on the calendar, and she starts sharing a real need that's concerning her, and I'm just like, oh, you'll be fine. And then, when I took the moment to hear her a little bit, she started sharing me, and, and I'd gone to the bathroom, and I, can I just tell you, the Holy Spirit just, just dropped right in my spirit. You know, God can speak to you in the bathroom. And the Holy Spirit dropped, and he, he just said, you need to love her. She's trying to share a need with you, and you're just like, oh, it's Okay. And I went back in there and I said, you know, say something, I'm sorry. I made you feel unimportant. Will you forgive me? And I want to really hear what you're facing and what's going on. I'm sure this concerns you. And if it concerns you, I want it to be something that concerns me. Does that make sense? 
And so the incredible thing is that selfishness also expresses it. This is what I want, and you never do, you never do what I want. We're always thinking about, you're always thinking about yourself. You ever have those kind of, you're always thinking about you. And can I just say something? I was thinking about me. Instead of thinking about her needs and what God can. As a husband, I'm responsible to be her leader. I guide my marriage. I guide my family. I guide my children. I guide the way God can speak to us as a family by my example and my heart. Are you hearing me? And you're the same. What's the biggest root cause of tension in your relationship? It's unmet expectations and, un, and our self-centeredness. Anybody getting this? Okay, so Songs of Solomon, he goes in verse 4 and 6. Are y'all with me? Okay. My beloved put his hand to the latch. He's got his hand on the door. My heart was thrilled within me. I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers were with liquid myrrh. uh, myrrh. And, And on the handles of the bolt, I opened to my beloved, but my love, my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke, and I sought him but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. You know, when I think about this scripture, I think about sometimes, how many you ever prayed and said, God, use me, speak to me. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And God may come to you at moments, in a moment, where maybe it's a, it's a difficult circumstance, a different, difficult situation, or you're watching a game and God goes, okay, I'm going to talk to you. Well, God, I'll go talk to you. you got five minutes left. It's the national championship. But God wants to speak to you. Or you have something, ladies, that you're having to do, and God just wants to just encourage you. Are you, are you hearing me? And what happens sometimes is we go, God, I, I, just, I'll, I'll come back to that. God, just wait. Let me do And then we, sometimes what happens is we forget. And then that opportunity, that moment leaves us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so what happens here? There's four promises we must make in order to fight fair. And I want to give those to you this morning. The first thing is, number one, I will respond, not react. What does that mean? Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I will respond by the Spirit instead of reacting in the flesh. Anybody know what that one's like? In other words, I'm going to respond differently. You know, that, that's kind of religious terms. I'm not going to respond out of my emotions, out of my feelings. Hello? Feelings, nothing more than feel. Remember that song? You know, you just, you know, oh, feely, feely, feely. And some things, it's important for some people. They just, they're, they're, they're feely kind of people. My little girl's that way. I mean, she's feely, feely, feely. If it's frilly, filly and all that stuff, she's into it, you know. But here's the thing is, why is it that when we think we're being attacked, we defend ourselves and we criticize other people? In other words, see, do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome, but overcome evil with good. And if you knew anything about the Jewish culture, what would happen? And there's Ephesians, there's a verse in Ephesians, same thing, is that if you had a home... And back then, is if you need to start a fire in your home, it was very difficult to start a fire if the fire went out in your home. So what people would do is, if, if your house, like if it was cold and you needed heat and stuff, the woman of the house would go and find another place, and they would take a jar pot, and they would go to a friend's house, and they would put a coal in that jar pot. 
And they would put that pot on top of their head and walk back to their place. And they would put that coal and they would blow on it and get the fire stoking again. You understand what I'm saying? And so the Bible's saying, don't be caught up and, you know, returning evil, but, you know, do something good. And see, what, you see, think, think logically. What relationship has ever gotten better if you've criticized it? Listen, you'll never reach what you criticize. If you're speaking dirt about your husband or your wife behind their back at work and all that, you're just sowing things. Are you hearing me? That's why a relationship with God is so important that God can bring his conviction and speak to us in prayer when we're reading the Bible and the word of God begins to speak to us. And because what we need to do is not just read the word, we need to let the word of God read us. There's a big difference. And when the word begins to read us, all of a sudden we go, man, I need to really change. You know, we don't, and see what happens is, is that it's not none of it. You distant and you harm your relationship. Emotions are signposts that help to navigate the journey of marriage. We need to look for the message behind the words. What does your spouse anger mean about the current experience or the satisfaction of your marriage? You better, you listen, you make a better marriage when you work through conflict and honestly confront your emotions. I'll just say this. My wife, I'm just going to put her on a pedestal this morning. She's a champion about getting to the bottom of it. Okay? I'm a, I'm a, a stewer and she's a spewer. And we're going to talk about that after a while. You know, I'm like, stew. She'll spew. And neither one of them are good. If that's the way you lean. Are you hearing me? But what happens is, is that it's so important that in marriage that you make sure that your marriage, you work out your comp, that you're honest, brutally honest. Hello? Y'all smile. Y'all look at, y'all look at me like, all right, Pastor Bubba, where are you going with this? Okay, let me give you five things real quick. It's just, number one, never respond to your mate harshly. Don't respond to them harshly. In other words, hey, where are we going? I don't know where we're going. I was just asking, where are we going? Baby, where are we at? Come on, tell me on the map. Well, you could have looked at the map before we went, and you expecting me, you're the navigator? Put the navigator in your phone. Well, I can't. I don't know how to. You ever go on vacation? Put the information in before you leave out your driveway. You will save yourself lots of fighting. Never, listen to me, never touch your mate out of temper or frustration. Ever. Never, ever. Never. Because you don't know. I'm tired. Don't you touch me like that. I'll knock your eye. I'll knock your eye. I'll dot your eye. You won't see for three weeks. And that's the first eye punch. Because you don't know. They might have came from a very abusive situation. And what happens is and we don't know. And sometimes that, that just signifies, oh, they're going to do what I saw happen in my family with whoever. And they go, don't do that. You feel violated. Never fight in front of your kids. Sometimes we got to bring it to the back of the house. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just. It was funny this morning that Luke, he's, he, he helps in children's church. Something, and he goes, Dad, y'all, talk, y'all talking about sex again today? He said, I'm going to go help the kids' church this morning. I said, Praise God. All right. You know. Never fight in front of the kids. You know what happened to me when I was 10 years old? My parents got in a fight. My mama, my dad found out that my mom was running around on him. She was cheating on him. And I remember opening the door, busting the door open my shoulder at 10 years old. And my mama looked at me and she goes, look what your daddy's done to me. He had slapped her around. They never did that, any kind of physical thing. Then my mom, you know, my mom, look what your daddy did. My dad goes, look what your mother's done to me. And she'd bit him or something. I don't know, just, but there was blood. And I remember that etched in my mind at 10 years old. And I think sometimes why I'm a steward is I just don't want to go off. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's not an excuse. But I, I look at that, and it, was, it laid an indelible impression on my mind. Because when I grew up, I said, I never want to be in a marriage. I want my kids never to have to experience the pain and the sorrow that I had to face. Going from weekend to weekend, planning vacations around you know, different families, his, mine, and our. You know what I'm saying? And if, and if you that were raised in that way or you're in that situation, you know, it's just the enemy gets in sometimes. And we were blinded. But now you can make a difference. Are you hearing me? It's never too late. God's not just a child, God of a second chance. God's a God of another chance. Amen? Amen? And so, and here's a good one. Never mention your spouse's parents <laughs> or any other family member. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. You're just like your Uncle Leroy. You come, you sit at the table, you eat like a pig, you don't look up, you look like a steam shovel when you're shoveling the food in. You don't talk to me and the children. You are like your Uncle Leroy. In fact, you're looking like him. You used to be my hunk, but now you're my chunk. Well, you're like your mama. You know, your mama, all them, they got that... That goofy look. <laughs> Come on, you fill in the blanks. You know what I'm talking about. Don't do that. I told you before, I had a friend. He bought his wife buns of steel. <laughs> I was like, you're a dumb bun. You don't do that. Chase your wife. She'll get the buns of steel. Anyway, let me go on. Never yell or use put downs or verbally defame your spouse. Just don't do that. Don't mention divorce. Don't mention how they look. Don't mention how. Come, can I tell you something? It's important. Why? Because that's your mate that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. You don't need to fight in your marriage. You need to fight for your marriage. And here it is. I I might not be the wisest man in the world, but there's a few things that I learned when I was young. There were some things I I put some nevers on. I'll never use this. I'll never do that. I'll never do that. Because I want my wife to feel confident. I want her to feel secure. I want her to feel safe. And I want her to have success in her life. Amen? And every woman needs that, and every woman desires that, and every woman longs for that. And that's why some women marry ugly men. 
Don't look around too hard. Because you gave it to them. You know what I'm saying? So you ought to feel good about yourself. But see, the second thing, I will never stop asking God to fix you. I'm going to ask him to fix me. You ever go to prayer sometimes? God, fix that woman. Oh! God, oh, Lord, please. I can't bear this. Fix her. And she's in the floor. Fix him. Fix him. No one in any marriage is perfect. Okay, that's a revelation for somebody here this morning. No one's perfect. Conflict is going to always be there. How you handle it will just reveal your own sin. It will reveal your own insecurity. Oftentimes we act like children. and we, we do. You ever have a fake apology? Okay, I'm not going to be a lying preacher this morning. Some of you, how many of you ever had a fake apology? Come on, let's be honest. Because you wanted something or you needed something or you just said, I want to get it over with. How many of you ever apologized? And it wasn't really real. You just wanted to get, put it, put it this way, you wanted things to be smoothed over. Because you didn't want to deal with the conflict, you just wanted peace. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, just peace, peace. Peace ain't good sometimes. Because guess what? There's still those lines you've drawn. You know what I'm saying? I remember me and my brother, we'd have a conflict when we were kids, and we had to share a double, you know, not the single beds, but the double beds, you know what I'm talking about? Not, not the queen, but the full. A full bed, the, the small, you know. And I remember he was the kind of kid, he was get scared at night, so he'd want to touch me. And I hate people touching me. I mean, it's creepy, except my wife. But anyway. And, and, and it's like, I remember I would, I would go to bed at night and go, all right, here's the line. Don't cross the line. Don't touch me. And I remember, man, you know, I, I'd be getting to sleep, and I'd about, you know, you're about to go sleep, and you're, I could, Feel my brother's hand coming or his foot. He just wanted to touch me so he wouldn't be afraid. And I go, I was mean. Don't touch me. It's my space. No one touching me. You know, going back to apology, there's times I've wanted peace. So I just go, hey, forgive me. And she's okay. But can I tell you something? I was dealing with the fruit, but I wasn't getting to the root. And see, you can still eat the fruit of conflict, but never get to the root to get rid of it. Are you hearing me? I remember I had a banana tree in my backyard when we lived in Broussard. And I remember I'd cut that sucker and it'd come back up. I cut that sucker. Then finally, I was just like, man, they, they just multiplied. And I, I was so sick of that stupid banana tree. So one day I dug a crater. <laughs> she remembers. I mean, I dug a full-on, like, meteor hit, man. I dug that, and I'd find another dumb banana. I was saying a few other things probably, too, and just, banana, you know. And I got rid of that, and, but I had to dig. And it's the same way in our marriage. If we're going to deal with real issues, unexpected Needs, you know, expectations and selfishness and pride and resistance and being real. Sometimes we got to get the shovel and start digging. And sometimes our mate needs to be there going, hey, they got one right there too. I didn't need you to say that. Well, that's, hey, we got to get to that one. 
Why don't you come dig? All right. I'll dig. Let's dig together. Y'all with me? We hate to take responsibility for our sin, don't we? It's always easier to look at somebody else's sin. So we always, we judge people by what we see. But we judge ourselves by our motive. Well, I didn't really mean that. Hello? See, a motive is why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? Either for yourself, that's selfish. Either for God or for others. That means you're a people pleaser. So don't please people, even your mate. Don't just try to please them. I remember we have a friend, some friends of ours, and before they had children, she'd come and she'd try to be the perfect little wife. And if he'd sit down, you know what I'm talking about, and, and, and he, she'd bring him a cup of tea and stir and put the sugar in. And we're like, what the heck is that all about? And we go, what are you doing? Oh, I just served him. He's just, you know, I'm going to do my, I said, start having kids. She don't get his tea anymore. In fact, she really didn't, she shouldn't have gotten his tea before because he wasn't really being what he needed to be then. And I'm going to stop right there, but <laughs> Psalms 139. Let's go on. I, I, I want to I get you out of here in one piece, okay? Here's David, okay? Here's David, and he's praying, and what's happening is, you know, uh, David ends the psalm, and he's giving the Lord free access to his heart and his mind, his request. He says, Lord, just let's read it. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And here he is. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So what's he saying right here? He's saying, you know, God, show me my heart. Lead me. Reveal to me things in my own life that I don't see. How many have ever been blinded by your own self? And David's saying, this is a great prayer to pray. He's asking God to show him, you know, and give him opportunities for improvement. How many of you could say, you know, I, I, I need some opportunities for improvement? How many of you pray? Okay, can I stop? Can I pray for everyone that you will have opportunities for improvement this week? Some of you don't want to pray that prayer. Some of you are scared about that prayer because God may answer it, right? Let's pray. Father, this, this week, I pray right now over every person, including myself, that, God, that you would give us opportunities, that we know that you hear our prayers, you know our prayers, you know our hearts. We want opportunities for improvement, that you would show us who we are. God, show yourself through, even if it's through conflict or things that we agonize over, I pray that you would just begin to speak to us. And God, we would respond and see our sin, name our sin, and call it out and allow you to deal with that and to kill it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, all need, we, we, all, we, we need to own our own sin, right? And we need to repent. We need to apologize sometimes. And so... Where, where, where we have experienced grace, our ability to extend it exponentially increases. When you've had grace on something, someone's given you grace, someone's blessed you with something, you want to be graceful. The third thing is I will talk and I will not, and, and not walk. What do you mean? Ephesians says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. 
Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For angry gives a foothold to the enemy. If you look at one of the verses, it says, when you go down, don't allow bitterness to get a hold of you. In other words, what he's saying, Paul's saying, listen, when you go to bed and you go to bed mad, he said, and you have bitterness in your heart, be careful because the enemy will come and put a foothold in your life and you'll wake up in the morning angry at your mate and you don't even know why. There'll be an issue of anger get up, up upon you. And what he's really trying to say is the word foothold is translated, it's a guest room where you allow, you open the door for the enemy to come in and sit in a room in your heart. It's your guest room. He sits there and he makes a home. Don't let the devil in your house. Amen? It's like the African pastor. He said, you know the devil. He does, he's bad. He's wicked. He's mean. He's vile. You let the devil put a finger in your mouth, and then he'll put another. And then after he puts a finger in your mouth, he'll put a whole hand, and he will guide you and lead you. He said the problem with most Christians, they don't have teeth. They need to bite the devil's hand right off. And that's what we need to do. We need to bite the enemy's hand right off. What happens when you get angry? And it's bedtime. Come on. You just assume the position in bed back to back. <laughs> Good night. I love you. I love you too. Good night. <laughs> Come on. Anybody ever have one of those? Come on. I've had them. I ain't touching her. She make a move. I'm cutting her off. <laughs> that won't last long. Anyway. <laughs> bold talk, you know what I'm saying? We'd be bold up in the pulpit when we get home. Oh, baby, please. Anyway, um, they're unwritten rules. No part of your body is allowed to touch. Here's two communication extremes. That's what I'm talking about. First is the steward, you hold back. What do you mean, Pat? This person doesn't say much. They internalize everything, but barely share anything. What do you mean? Don't be silent. The one who chooses to stay quiet will stunt the growth of the marriage. And that's, can I tell you, that's been my sin. When we first, when we first got married, that was my sin. If I get hurt or I had an ex, unex, unmet expectation, I'd just be quiet. Wouldn't say anything. And, and what would happen is... If you're the spouse that likes to hold back verbally and you're, you're mad, you, don't, don't take the, you need to take the initiative to come back and truly receive, you know, facing your conflict. You need to face it. You cheat yourself in your marriage out of God's best when you just don't say anything. Are you hearing me? And my wife, I, I, I mean, can I just say, if I and my wife and I, when we first got married, this won't happen anymore, but when I, get married, when I first got married, I would have the silent treatment. Okay, anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had the silent treatment or have you given the silent treatment? Okay, you know what it is. Like you get mad, you get fashed, and all of a sudden you go, can't believe she did that. I ain't talking to her for a day, two days. In fact, I may not talk to her for a month. And my wife didn't grow up that way. But see, in my family, when sometimes when they had a conflict, they just cut people off. You know what I mean? Cut them off. And so I was dealing with that thing in my own life. You know what I mean? Not knowing it was a generational curse 
in my family or even in my life. You know what I'm saying? And she would be like, I thought you were this nice, funny guy, but like what devil in hell has gotten in you? And then my wife is a spewer. I'm the stewer. She's the spewer. What do you mean? It's the name of being, it's called being real. This person let loose with stinging words that wound their spouse to the core. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean they just, they, that's not their intention. But because they haven't been getting attention and they know that something's wrong and this other person is being unreal, they go, well, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And they start saying something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any spewers up in the house? No, don't put your hand up now. No, I'm Instead of, hurting the, instead of hurting the marriage by holding back verbally, these folks hurt the marriage by lashing out. So earnestly, earnestly ask God if your heart and your attitude are right before talking to your spouse. Here's some things. Silence hurts. So does verbally lashing out. Okay? They both do. Neither is a healthy way to resolve a conflict in marriage. Here's three things. Look at the person in the eyes. The Bible says the eyes are the window of the soul. You can see a lot through a person's eyes. You can see if they're angry. You can see if they're putting off. You can see if they're hurt. It's just, the Bible says the eyes are the window. It's like the reflection of what's going on inside of somebody. Be sure to look at them in the eyes. Listen more than you speak. Boy, that's a revelation for me. Because I want to speak more. My wife, we'll go on trips and she'll go, we'll go to Lafayette. She goes, I'll go in. I'll just start talking. And she goes, well, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. You talk the whole time. <laughs> really? I talk the whole time? No. Well, you said, yeah, I said three words. And I don't even, you know, I'm like, it's like I took Livy to the doctor the other day. And Dr. McNally, because she had a pain in her foot, and, you know, and, <laughs> and he goes, well, what happened to your foot? And, I mean, I saw a reflection of who I am. She said, well, I was on the thing. And she started describing it, like literally just going on. I mean, Dr. McNally was like, whoa. <laughs> I jumped off the trees about that high, landed on the rock. My foot kind of twisted, but I didn't say anything. But then, but then, you know, I was trying to play Foursquare the other day. When I was playing Foursquare, I told him I couldn't hurt because my ankle was hurting. And then, and then my teacher wanted me to then, And I'm like, <laughs> I saw him the other day. Him and I were walking together. And he goes, man, I didn't know Olivia. The last time I saw her, I didn't know she could talk hardly. And he says, but man, she can. Oh, yeah, she's her daddy's daughter. Listen, guys, can I just give you a key to the heart of your wife's heart? Learn to listen. And don't have that glaze. (laughs) What? But I thought you were talking about Mabel. Yeah, but that was, we're coming back. Or this is the one you don't want to have. Did you just hear what I said? No. Yeah. Well, what did I say? <laughs> I'm just giving it away, guys. 
seek to understand more than you seek to be understood. That's what I had to do the other day with her. I just, I mean, it was initiated by God. I'm not that smart. You know what I mean? I wasn't that aware. I wasn't that perceptive. And God had to just come and he said, you know, basically it's like, God, Bubba, you've been praying. I can change your heart. Here, I want to talk to you. You need to be compassionate towards her. You need to listen to her. It's a need in her life. The last one, I'll resolve to find a resolution. Towards the end of the chapter, Solomon and his wife meet in the garden. Instead of blasting each other, God worked on their hearts and they, they responded with forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's the way God works with us, guys. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. Amen? All of a sudden, we see where we've been at, and we see our own lives, and we see our selfishness, and God has been patient with us, and he begins to speak to us by his Holy Spirit, and then he begins to reveal things, and God uses situations, God uses circumstances, God even uses people sometimes that aren't even Christians to speak to us. How you know what I'm talking about? I've had that. God just blindsided me and go, wow, God, you're using, Wow. And, I, and it's like you kind of, you almost say, do I have a signpost that says what I'm going through? That you're saying that to me? You ever had that? You know, many times during a conflict, conflict we're more interested in winning the argument than finding the, re, the resolution. See, you may win the argument, but you, you'll lose your spouse at the same time. You see, my prayer is that if, if you're a married couple, you're having problems. Here's what I want you to do. Ask for help. Ask for God to help you. Find people that have a good marriage, that have a quality marriage, and, and come to them and say, what's the secret? Don't, can, don't allow church to be the Christian prom. What do you mean, Pastor Bubba? You get all dressed up and you pretend everything's okay. Church is a place not to play games, it's a place to get real, to get brutally honest and say, hey, this is who I am. I'm working on it. I'm needing change, but I don't want to just have this fake dress and go, ooh, ooh, everything's cool. When you know what? I like it when I, I go, hey, man, how's it going? Bruh, tough week. Real person. How's it going? Oh, bless the Lord. Brother, let me tell you. First of all, when they call you brother, they don't know your name. <laughs> Second of all, you don't need to stick around too long because they might not be very real. The problem is we're so obsessed with what people may say or what they think, we allow our relationships to implode. Because we're so concerned. Well, what if they find out that our marriage is like this? And what if they find out my husband or my wife and... You know what? Work on it. Deal with it. Allow God to do what he wants to do. God brings conflict so you can resolve things in our own heart. Okay? God designed marriage for more than making you holy than making you happy. Well, how, how come you and your wife are getting divorced? Because we're not happy. Well, it's not about happy. When I said my vows, yeah, I didn't go, until, we're, until you stop making me happy. I've learned a lot. 
through the things I've walked through over the years, through sickness and health. All those other things, they mean a lot more. Hello? Marriage is about two sinners who often sin, come on, against each other. Can I just be real with you? But they own up to their sin. They repent. They ask for forgiveness. And they reconcile. Can I, just like, can I just be really honest with you? Is that okay? I tried to be, but let's be really honest. I like making up. <laughs> Ain't nothing like making up. Come here, baby. I'm sorry. Me too. Can I pray? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Pastor Josh talked about it last week. I heard he knocked out of the park. But it's about, can I just say, marriage is about being open and real and honest, truthful, being willing to walk through the ugly, walk through times when we have situations where it just, we expected something, we didn't get it. And then God starts dealing with us about our self-centeredness. Let me ask you a question. Let me do a survey. How many of you have learned that you were selfish? You didn't know you were selfish until you got married. How many of you thought you were just a great person? Everything was good. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? You had no issues. And then all of a sudden you got married and you go, oh, my God, I'm the biggest sinner in the world. <laughs> That's why we need God's help. And that's why God put the Songs of Solomon in the book. Because he took the guy that was the wisest person that ever lived. Now, he didn't always make wise decisions. Because, see, God wants you to find wisdom. Let Songs of Solomon be a mentor to you. To teach you how to have a better marriage. You understand me? If you want to have a heart for God, go find David and go let David mentor me to have a heart after God. If you want to have someone that wants to be bold for the gospel, go look at the Apostle Paul and see how he was bold and how he stood up. If you want to be someone, if you want to be a martyr, go read Acts and watch Stephen, how he stood up, but he was a martyr. You know what I mean? Let those people, that people, the areas in your life that you need to change, if you've called to be a father and you're supposed to lead something, read the book of, read Abraham's life. If you want change in a city, read places where there's things about generations that God can do. Let the Bible, let the Bible mentor you because that's what's so important. The Bible is alive. It's real. It's active. It's sharp. It's able to teach us who we are, what we need, and where we need to go. That's what the Bible's all about. And listen, as long as there's our Savior's church here in Jennings and Crowley and Eunice, we will preach the Bible. We will live by what the Bible says. We'll look at how God defines relationships, how God defines loyalty, how God defines country, how God defines who we are supposed to be and what God wants us to do because God doesn't just want us to sit on our blessed assurance and come to church and say everything's fine when God wants us to get a a picture of the world around us and friends that need Him more than they need anything else because religion won't do it. But a relationship with Jesus Christ will change a person's heart. It'll change their core. It can work the miracle. It can work a miracle in a marriage that people give up on and you've given up on. And God goes, trust me. 
Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for every person here this morning. I thank you, Father, for all that you're doing, all that you're speaking. And Father, I thank you for every person that represents a marriage here. Maybe their spouse isn't here, but they're believing. God, that you're going to do something great in their spouse. And I pray this year that you would just begin to do a work in people's hearts like never before. Lord, we even prayed earlier that, we would, we, that you would speak to us. You would shape our heart, even though we don't know our own heart sometimes. And so, Father, this morning, I pray for marriages this morning where they feel like maybe they've given up, they've lost hope. I pray that, Lord, where there's been lack of hope, I pray faith will begin to rise up. Believing something they can't see. But God, give them a vision in their mind's eye, in their heart, for what, God, you want that to be. If you want a thriving, incredible, great marriages in this house. And we know that the enemies come to rob, kill, and destroy. But you said you would come and you would give life and give it more abundance.